The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 7, Run Silent, Run Deep. Save Me, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. It had been another long day for John Murdoch. So much of what he did on a day-to-day basis was what a neighborhood cop would have been doing if there had actually been any neighborhood cops left. Police forces all over the world had been decimated, and they were scrambling for recruits. Hard to get them when work organizations like the cheaper versions of Blacksnake were offering more money than any police department could offer. The rich in their gated communities were getting protection from gangs, thieves, and Thulians alike. As ever, the poor were left hanging in the wind. Until the cops could get their numbers up, most beat cops were kept to high-priority areas. John's neighborhood didn't qualify, so they rarely saw so much as a patrol car. So John and CCCP were taking up the slack. Lots of walking, talking to the neighbors, showing the colors, sometimes rousting out a dealer, or a thief, or a bully. Domestic disputes. Sometimes a genuine bad guy. Not a lot of action today. After his patrol with Georgie and Bear, he had made sure to stop in at Jonah's shop to see how the neighborhood was doing socially, get the lowdown on how things were shaking out that didn't involve busting a head or three. There were a few minor chores that he had to take care of, all of them adding time to his already long shift. Tired as he was, and damn if it seemed like he could never get enough sleep these days, he was happy to take care of the tasks. The last was to check up on the community garden— It was a sight different from when he'd first helped the neighborhood start it up. Vegetables, some dwarf fruit trees and raspberry and blackberry bushes donated by the hog farmers, herbs and flowers all sprouted and grew where there had once been a lot strewn with rubble and broken glass. Kids were encouraged to play carefully between the rows of plants and pull up weeds while they played. There were a lot of weed houses and rock forts in the shade of the taller plants. Action figures and dolls salvaged from the destruction corridors acted out high drama under the tomatoes. People in this neighborhood were still shopping in the rubble, and who could blame them? Anything that had belonged to someone still living had been claimed. John was inspecting a short row of corn stalks when he heard someone working on the far side of the garden. Quietly he made his way around the side until he saw Upir diligently cultivating around the roots of some bean bushes. Well... They looked like bushes anyway. They were certainly waist-high and didn't look as if they were going to stop growing any time soon. At the same time, she was instructing a little girl who was squatting next to her with a completely absorbed expression on her tiny face. John leaned against a post and watched the exchange. So, plants are pink like little girls with growing feet. You must give them room for toes to wiggle in dirt, da? The little girl giggled and nodded. But you do not want to tear up shoe or scratch feet at the same time, so you must to be pink careful. She looked up and spotted Murdoch. Pretty Johnny. Evening, Thea. Burning the midnight oil. She shrugged and tossed her snow-white hair out of her eyes. It's only sunset. And this being too hot for Pele Devushka to work garden in the afternoon. She stood up and handed the little girl a kind of basket or bucket carefully folded out of newspaper. It was full of beans. Now, 
think they come to Mama. Then and her kale be ready for picking up tomorrow. The little girl dashed off, both arms wrapped around her bundle. Upir picked up her gardening tools. Are you hungry for beans, Johnny? She said with her Mona Lisa smile. He held up his hands, smiling. No, but thanks, comrade. Not feeling too hungry at the moment. Just a bit under the weather lately. Too much Amerikansky fasting food. Not enough vegetables, she scolded. You are being look pale like me. People will to be saying you are my twin brat. I ought to be so lucky as to be so pretty, he grinned at her. Now get, I know for a fact there's going to be a long line up at the soup kitchen. I'm going to take a shift tomorrow morning. And you feel to be eating my good borscht, she said with a look. She was very proud of her borscht. She'd even gotten some of the die-hard Southerners who wouldn't eat anything that wasn't deep-fried or covered in bacon grease to slurp it down. John just winked at her. Nothing wrong with her borscht that a little old Tabasco can't fix. She put the tools in the common storage box at the side of the garden. They were safe enough there. It wasn't as if people were likely to be stealing the garden tools they all needed when a two-by-four was a better weapon anyway, and the more dangerous implements, like the big shears, were kept locked in the lower half with one of those school-locker combination padlocks. Anyone who would properly need one of those had the combination. John watched her leave, but remained. It was rare to get quiet moments like these where he could just be still and not have to think. Everyone would be at dinner now, some trying to get some sort of picture out of their jury-rigged TV antennas. Cable wasn't even pretending to make an effort to restore service out here. They knew damn well that no more than a third of the households had money to spare for even basic service. That was all right with John. It meant that things were quieter. How much time had people used to waste in front of televisions? He felt it was better all around that they now had to actually get out in the sun and do something. There were benches cobbled up out of debris placed all around the garden. He walked over to one and sat down heavily, watching the sunset turn into twilight. He felt, more than heard, the sound of wings and a warm breath of air scented with vanilla and sandalwood wafted over him. Sarah alighted on the back of the bench and stepped from there lightly down to the ground. I brought you food, she said, her hands cupped around a bag. Not borscht? he asked. She laughed musically. Not borscht. Peaches. She handed him the bag, which held fragrant peaches still warm with sunshine. The farmer told me to take them. Did you scare him half to death by showing up like that? He chuckled, removing a peach from the bag and taking a bite out of it. No. He thought I should have a reward, she replied, although she didn't specify why the farmer had thought that. Just another one of her mysterious, ambiguous statements that implied a story she never got around to telling. She took a peach herself and nibbled it. Oh, she said in surprise. They are just as good as they smell. So many things are not. John took another bite then chewed and swallowed. You're an angel, Sarah. He tilted his head to the side. 
I only now realize just how ridiculous and redundant that is for me to say. Well, yes, but I take your meeting. She smiled at him, peach held in both hands. Perhaps you might come to actually believe it, if you say it often enough. He pointed a finger at her, peach still in hand. Don't get any ideas about converting me just yet. He sighed, putting his elbows on his knees. Still too much to do, and not enough time or energy for it. As if on cue, his CCCP issue comm device beeped. John held up a finger for silence apologetically, then keyed the comm device. Murdoch here. Go. It was Yadviga on duty this time. Comrade Murdoch, we are needing you to be reporting for another shift. Cannot be helped as we are short-handed. Report to HQ in all haste. HQ, out. John sighed again. No rest for the wicked, nor any for the bone-tired. You are weary, she said sympathetically. And there it was, another evidence of how alien she was. A human woman meeting at last with her. What was he to her? Not a lover. Not yet, but... Well, a human woman would have been unhappy at the least, angry or annoyed or petulant at the worst at having the meeting cut so short, and would have voiced a complaint or a demand for him to tell HQ to find someone else. But Sarah... Sarah just looked at him with sympathy and understanding, and spoke of his weariness. That could be said of the whole world, darling. He shrugged, but that attitude, that understanding, was unbelievably liberating. Her regard lifted him, rather than putting him in chains. His neighborhood was a standout for many areas. Here the people actively tried to help each other. In a lot of other places, especially in countries without an echo presence or an organization like the CCCP to bolster security forces, everyone was forced to look over their shoulders. Things were downright medieval in some areas. Still, Sarah's attitude and presence did more for him than he could adequately express to her. Oh, you are all weary. But you are particularly weary. I believe I can help. Remember? She tilted her head charmingly to one side. Trying to fish for another kiss, Sarah. First you bribe me with peaches. He flashed her a lopsided grin, nudging her shoulder with his own. I like kisses, she said thoughtfully. Very much. But I do not need to kiss you to help you. Only touch your hand. <laughs> I almost forgot that you can do that. In truth, he had not forgotten. But... It just wasn't John's way to ask for help any more than absolutely needed. He did want Sarah to help him. And more than just help him. But he'd never ask for it. You are a very stubborn man, John Murdoch, she said severely. If you do not learn to ask, very often you will not get. Others with more of a need than mine, Sarah. Just the way it is. Anyways, I'm tough. 
He smiled again, leaning closer to her. I'll manage. You are stubborn and foolish, she replied. Funny, Ma said the same thing about me all the time. Your Ma was right. Be quiet and be kissed. She put her peach pit aside and put her arms around his neck and suited her actions to her words. John leaned in closer, wrapping his arms around her and reciprocated with equal fervor. Instantly he felt better, more alert, stronger, and nowhere near as tired as he had. His emotions lifted as well. The edge of depression that had been on everything faded. After what seemed like a long time, not long enough and no time at all, he pulled away, the smile still on his face, the scent of peaches mingling with her sandalwood and cinnamon and vanilla, wreathing them both. Like I said before, if you could bottle that, we'd make a fortune. She wrinkled her nose at him. Bella says the same. And no, I do not kiss her. Well, shucks, there goes all my adolescent fantasies. He touched the tip of her nose with his finger. Don't worry, Angel. You'll suit me fine all on your own. She chuckled. I hope so. I do not intend to indulge your adolescent fantasies. Bella would be horrified. And then she would hit you. You should ask the genie about her right hook. Don't need to ask him. She's hit me before, for entirely different reasons. He checked his comm device, which was blinking still. A story for another time, I'm afraid. Duty calls. Again, it's kind of like a bad ex-girlfriend that way, always showing up at the wrong times. I will meet you on the roof. I shall bring beer. You must bring some of that lovely, floppy pizza stuff. I, too, have duties, and I should be about them. Sounds like a deal to me, darling. He stood up, kissing her on her brow. I'll see you in a few hours. With that, John started jogging towards the CCPHQ, feeling and looking much better than he had just a few moments before. Turning out to be a fine evening, if I do say so myself. The seraphim stared after him, with longing and with a little unease. It had taken more energy to heal and fill him than she had thought it should. She wondered if there was something wrong. He had been getting sick and even injured often in these past few months, but the work he did often had him becoming injured and stressed. Even a metahuman physiology could only contend against such a rigorous routine for so long. She listened, but the infinite offered no hints. She shrugged and touched her lips, smiling again, thinking of the kiss. There was much to be said for being material. Mortal memories of such things were no match for experiencing them firsthand. She sat there for a little longer, before the sound of a soft footstep made her look up. There was a little girl standing there, looking at her expectantly. It was one of the ones she had told stories to. She smiled and beckoned the child to her and put the rest of the bag of peaches in her hands. Take those to your mama, love, 
she said. The child peeked inside, gave a squeal of glee, and ran off. Then she picked up the two peach seeds, hers and John's, and took them to an empty spot in the garden where a rose bush had failed to thrive and been taken up. She put them gently into the earth and patted the soil over the top. Grow, she whispered, and felt them respond. But then she felt the calling. It was time for her to return to the work as well, and with a flash of flame, she was gone. Another life to save. You have been listening to Season 7 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod, available at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the amazing people at Bayon Books. Follow the series at www.secretworldchronicle.com. Join us on Facebook and check out the authors on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.